Today's reading is from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through to 40. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started, and out on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading a book, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading the and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip. Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, it's a great privilege and pleasure to be able to sing of your glory with brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, but I know that uh, this morning not all of us will be seeing your glory so clearly. Some of us, through the difficulties and trials of our own lives at the moment, will be struggling in different areas. And so I do pray that now, as we turn to your word, that you would minister to each one of us, whether we're able to sing unimpeded of your glory, or whether we do it through tears or through gritted teeth. Please speak to us and work within us by your spirit this day, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? Just before we get into uh, Acts chapter 8, Jamie told me when I sat down and I said something just before, when, when I was speaking just before, it sounded like I said, I hate sinners. I hope no one thinks I, I did sound like that. I didn't say that. I love sinners. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. I love in the Anglican church that we, um, we say the confession together and we all recognize we're all the same. There's no one any better than anyone else here. I said, I hate sinners. And I'm happy to be on the record for that. Uh, not sinners. Big fan of sinners. Well, a big fan. Stop speaking. I can see Jamie now going, you idiot. Uh, I'm a fan of the saviour of sinners. That's what I'm a fan of. Right. Uh, sometimes for our sermons uh, on these Sunday mornings, it's useful to, to give an il- illustration or an opening introduction to kind of draw people into the passage. Uh, In other words, to try and get people interested. However, in the book of Acts, it's so extraordinary, you don't really have to do that very often. 
You don't have to point to the things that should get people's attention or get people's eyes on it. The events that we see in the book of Acts are not what you'd call boring. Acts may be lots of things, it's not boring. In the event today that we're looking at, I shouldn't have to prod you too hard to go, oh my goodness, what's going on here? In the, in the event we're looking at today, in today's reading, we see some incredible things. Verse 26, Philip is spoken to by an angel. Now, you may think, well, that happens a lot. Not even in the Bible does it happen a lot that angels come and speak. So this is uh, not an everyday occurrence. In verse 29, we see the Spirit tell Philip a message. It looks like the Spirit speaks to Philip. That's very rare in the Scriptures, to see the Spirit communicate in speech marks, as it were. Uh, At the end, at the other end of the passage, we see another rarity, verse 39, Uh, It says, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Now, we don't know exactly what that means or how it was done. I like to think of it as a bit like beaming up in Star Trek. That's what I kind of hope happened. There was a little bit of a noise and a fuzz and then disappeared. Uh, Plus, eunuchs in this passage. Again, not an everyday occurrence. So there's unusual things going on. However, that's become part of the course in the book of Acts, hasn't it? We've been seeing extraordinary things go on. You might ask, what is usual when the Spirit's at work? And that may be one of the challenges that we should be getting as a a church. What we should maybe perhaps expect the unexpected or the unusual when God is at work in wonderful ways. And we've always got to be careful, I think, as Christians, not to box God in, not to limit him in some kind of way. Oh, he'd never do that, or he could never do that. One of the things Acts shows is there's a whole range of different uh, activities of God and uh, works of the Lord. And I hope uh, these passages from Acts are encouraging you, as they've been encouraging me, or challenging you, as they've been challenging me, that although the, the, the situation and the context may have been different back then, and it is a unique context, and you've got to bear that in mind when you go through the book of Acts, the same principles remain the same. The good news of Jesus is needed in exactly the same way by people today as it was back then. The same Spirit of God changing hearts and lives needs to be at work today in exactly the same way as it was back then. The same urgency is required for people to know the healing and wholeness that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ today. And so I hope we're being reminded as individuals and as a church family of our central purpose. What's our key task? To tell people about Jesus. That's what we're on about. And that's what we see time and time again here in the book of Acts. So what we're seeing today is a unique event and it contains some elements that are not expected or or normal, but the principles remain exactly the same. And today we're seeing especially personal evangelism. We're seeing Philip with this Ethiopian eunuch. And so we'll be seeing, I hope, some principles that will be helpful for you and I as we too seek to share the good news of Jesus personally with other people. But to do that, we've got to give a little bit of a recap as to where we are. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we saw Stephen put to death for believing in Jesus. Stephen, the person that our church has been named after, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was put to death because he trusted in and followed the Lord Jesus. And then what happened after Stephen's death was the people who were uh, against Jesus and against Christians, they got emboldened. So, ah, we've been able to achieve this, now we will get even stronger. And so they started increasing their persecution of Christians. And this led many Christians to flee from Jerusalem 
to look at, to be safe, to look after their lives. They'd gone from Jerusalem out into different, lots of different places. Uh, the apostles didn't go, we're told, but a lot of the other Christians did. And last week we saw one of those Christians, Philip, not an apostle, but he was one of the deacons from chapter 6, we saw Philip go into another town, one of the towns of Samaria. And we were reminded that that was very significant because Samaria was not in Israel. It wasn't a Jewish city. In fact, Samaria was full of the enemies of the Jews, the Samaritans. And I gave a little bit of a a history of how that enmity had cropped up because the the Samaritans were actually half-Jewish. But earlier in their history, they turned their back on God, they turned their back on their heritage, and so there was a lot of hatred between Israelites and and, uh, Samaritans. But what we saw last week is Jesus is for everyone even Samaritans. And this was such a big deal that as Philip and others were preaching the good news about Jesus and the Samaritans were becoming Christians, they actually had to send back to Jerusalem to get the big guns, Peter and John, the two highest profile Christian leaders in the church. You guys are going to have to come out to verify this. We think the Samaritans are becoming Christians. We think Jesus is the saviour for the Samaritans as well. Peter and John, can you come out and can you verify it? And Peter and John did. They saw the Spirit on on these people and they confirmed these people are being saved. Uh, These people are are part of the the family of God and have a Savior in Jesus. Well, as we pick up the story today in verse 25, we see Peter and John are now heading back to Jerusalem. But as they go, what do they do? They preach the gospel of many Samaritan villages because that's what they're about. The good news of Jesus has got to go out, so that's what they're doing. Uh, I hope you've spotted preaching the word preaching the gospel, talking about Jesus, is the most repeated thing in the book of Acts. Sometimes we think of Acts as uh, just this kind of history book with incredible works of the Spirit, and it has that in it, but the number one repeated theme all the way through it is the preaching of the gospel, telling people about Jesus, and the Spirit works in and through that. So that's what's uh, going on. Well then, after Peter and John go back, we're told that Philip, the one who took it to Samaria... Is, is spoken to by an angel of the Lord. Verse 26, and the angel says, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And Philip obeys. Verse 27, that's a good idea, by the way. If an angel tells you to do something, do it. Uh, you might think, well, of course I'll do it. The scriptures is full of people who ignore the Lord. Jonah ignored the Lord, didn't he? He tried until he fish and you know all that kind of thing. Philip obeys, good on him. And because he obeys, he meets on the road an Ethiopian eunuch. So who is this Ethiopian eunuch? All we know about him, I think, comes from these verses, but it tells us quite a bit. We can make a little bit of a picture uh, about who he is. We're told in those verses that he lives and works in Ethiopia, which is probably a slightly different region than we would call Ethiopia today, but it gives you a ballpark kind of place. And he's got an important role in that land because he's in charge of the treasury of Queen Candace. Uh, It's also clear that he's either a Jew living and working in Ethiopia or, I think more likely, he's a, a proselyte or a convert to the Israelite faith. Do you see in verse 27 it says he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship. You only go to Jerusalem to worship if you want to go to the temple because you're following the Israelite God. So he is either a Jew working abro- living and working abroad or a foreigner, but he's become a convert to the Israelite God. 
And you, that's backed up too, because afterwards, after he's gone to the Jerusalem to worship the Lord, he's reading Isaiah, the prophet. He's reading the Israelite scriptures. So he's either Jewish or Jewish convert. But the aspect that he's best known for, for better or worse, is he's a eunuch. You can't get away from that. Neil, I think, at the morning said he's an Ethiopian. That was a polite way to say it, but he's known as a eunuch. He'd been castrated. Now, that wasn't something that happened all the time, even back then. But back then in that culture and in certain places, there were certain roles where castration uh, was part of it. Usually, royal roles involved in the royal household. If you had responsibilities for the queen or for the concubines, castration often was associated with that. And without going into all the details, you can see why it meant that kings could trust them, not mucking around in those kind of areas. Now, just to prove that this is how we're supposed to think of this guy, it's not just me latching onto one interesting fact, have a look how Luke describes this person in this passage. He only describes him once as Ethiopian. He only describes him once as being the treasurer for Queen Candace. But he's described as a eunuch, verse 27, verse 32, verse 34, verse 36, verse 38, verse 39. Luke wants us to think of him as a eunuch. It's the area that's kind of highlighted the most. And we'll think about why that is um, a little bit later as we go through. Well, the spirit then tells Philip, verse 29, to go up to the chariot that the eunuch's in and stay near that chariot. So Philip does. And he hears the guy reading the book of Isaiah out loud. And so he asks him, verse 30, do you understand what you're reading? Uh, I'd suggest that's not the most tactful question to begin evangelism with, but it uh, seems to work for Philip, so what, what would I know? But he, he asks this question, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch replies with his own question. How can I, unless someone explains it to me? Boom. Suddenly, connection made, and Philip's got the opening that he wants. So Philip's invited into the chariot, and we're told that the, <coughs> the passage the eunuch is reading is Isaiah 53. Isn't that great? If you know Isaiah 53, what better passage could he be reading? We're told the concepts, the, the, the words that he's reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And Philip reads that, and he asks another question in verse 34. Tell me, please, who's the prophet speaking of? Is the prophet speaking about himself or someone else? And of course, if you know Isaiah 53, you'll know that it's talking about Jesus. It's talking about Jesus as the suffering servant, the one who would take punishment from God for the good of other people. One of the things the Jews couldn't really understand before Jesus was that in the Old Testament you had two figures prophesied, the Christ, the one who would be God's king and reign and rescue and be successful, and the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 who would take punishment for the good of God's people. <clears throat> what they didn't realize was that that was one and the same person. It wasn't until Jesus came that they realized that the way that the Christ would reign and rule is through him giving his life for the good of God's people. And so Philip tells him, this is Jesus. The one that you're reading about is Jesus. But notice Philip doesn't stop there. I love verse 35 because it says, Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. This is just a launching pad for Philip. 
he will then go on to say the full story of Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done. Uh, when you're thinking about evangelising to your friends or family, telling people about Jesus, there's a couple of things to notice here I think is, are helpful. This eunuch had a question and Philip addressed it. So it wasn't like Philip went there with an agenda to kind of force on someone else. He waited for an opportunity and then he answered that question and then brought it round to Jesus. There's a lot of wisdom, I think, in that. A good evangelistic principle to deal with the person and the question, not just force our agenda on them. And it's worth noting too, what else Philip could have spoken to the eunuch about? He'd just had an angel speak to him. He'd just had the Spirit of God speak to him. He could have said, oh look eunuch, um, that's not his name, but you won't believe the power of the Spirit that I've just uh, felt. You won't believe, I've just met an angel and the angel told me to come here. He tells him about Jesus because that's the heart. That's the, what we don't want is last week where Simon got so taken by the miraculous power, that's what he was kind of obsessed with. He missed Jesus. Philip gets it the right way around. He tells this eunuch about Jesus. That's what we want to focus on when we're evangelizing people, who Jesus is and what he's done. Well, it obviously works because as they continue traveling in verse 36, they come across some water and the eunuch asks another question, a third great question. Look, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Wouldn't you love to kind of uh, hear that? I love his questions, by the way. Three times he speaks, three times they're questions, genuine questions. He says, how can I understand this unless someone explains it to me? Who's the prophet speaking about? Why shouldn't I get baptised? And you see in his questions, he's showing humility. He's saying he doesn't know some things and he wants to learn. So often today, we, we think we know everything. And I would suggest to you, if you're, you're amongst us this morning and you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, I'd encourage you to think about things. Ask questions like this eunuch. In humility. Don't just accept life without thinking about it all. Why you're here. What the purpose of life is. Who God is. How can you know him? How should you be living? What comes next? These are good questions to wrestle with and, and ask. This guy asks great questions with humility. Uh, I hope we do too. Well, uh, Philip seems to think there's no good reason why not to get baptised. So uh, they get into the water. The eunuch gets baptised. And then as they come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord takes Philip suddenly away. Again, I don't know how that happens, but the Spirit of God is powerful. I was kind of hoping it would happen to me a few weeks ago when we did it in the pool, when we all got out, out of the pool after the bit, but it didn't. Uh, we, we don't know how the Spirit does it, but we do know how the eunuch is afterwards. He goes on his way rejoicing. Do you see that there? Because now he knows Jesus. His life hadn't changed. I would imagine he was still facing the same pressures, the same stresses, the same strains that he always had, but now he knows Jesus and it makes all the difference to his life. And so he goes rejoicing. Well, then our passage closes and it closes the way it began, if you notice, with Philip travelling around preaching the gospel. It's what they're always doing. Now, again, I want to say this event is probably not something you and I will experience exactly. We may, but we may not. Angels and eunuchs are not everyday things, but people coming to know Jesus is still our core mission. It's still our key business. And so there are 
some, it's still our number one priority as individual Christians and as a church family. And so I hope there are a couple of principles here we can take on board from this passage. I've got three just very quick ones that I'd like to bring to us this morning. And the first one is this, God is at work in gospel ministry. God is at work in gospel ministry. Here, we see that in extraordinary ways. An angel of the Lord tells Philip to go to a certain place. The Spirit of the Lord tells Philip to do a specific thing. We see God's hand, and he's reading Isaiah 53. We see God's hand at work in all of it. And although the specifics may change, the principle remains exactly the same today. God is the one who works in and through all areas of life. There are no coincidences when it comes to the Lord. When you've had certain people brought into your path or life, it's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. If the Lord has put certain people in your way, in your life, in your orbit, then there are opportunities there. Now, I'm not talking about it being uh, rude or offensive or you know, any of those kind of things, but seeing them as opportunities. Seeing the Lord's hand at work in it. And I point that out because if you think of it from the Ethiopian eunuch's point of view, he wouldn't have seen God's hand in it. If I was to bring the Ethiopian eunuch forward this morning, welcome, and interview him and ask him how he'd become a Christian, he wouldn't have known about the angel. He wouldn't have known about the spirit. All he would have known was he was reading the Bible and he met a guy who explained a few things and then he knew who Jesus was. But God was at work behind it. God was at work through it. If you're here this morning as a non-Christian, I spoke to you just a moment ago, the Lord may be the reason you're here this morning. You may not even quite know why you're here, but the Lord may well be working in you and through you right at the moment. He always does. Know that God is always involved in mission work and evangelism work. And the good thing about that is you can then trust that he's the one that can change hearts and change lives. So first thing, first principle, God's at work in gospel ministry. Second, though, we are to work in gospel ministry. Firstly, God is at work. Secondly, we are to work in gospel ministry. God doesn't just do it himself. He uses us. He uses fallen, sinful people. Sometimes I wonder why. Because, you know, I just look at myself and I do such a terrible job often. I make God's work much, much harder. And you think, why would you bother? But he does. Philip's a wonderful example here. Firstly, Philip's prepared to go wherever the Lord wants him. Props for that. I'm not sure if you've ever thought whether this would have been a hard move for Philip or not, but I think it would have been. Because he has to move from Samaria where there's crowds of people. And they've seen him do miracles. And they've seen him preach the gospel and lives have been changed. And he may have felt pretty good there. And, now, and then the angel tells him to go to a desert road. Really? Okay. But he goes. And then when he goes to the deserted road, he meets the Ethiopian uh, and the Spirit then tells him to stay near the chariot. I don't know whether you noticed that verse in verse 30. It's a bit odd too. I take it he's got to run to catch up to the chariot, and then he's got to run alongside it while he's listening to him read Isaiah. He does it. He does it. And then he throws out a, a question, and there's an opportunity to chat, and then he takes it. Not Bible bashing, not forcing his opinions, not speaking the truth so loudly and aggressively no one can possibly hear anything else. He just chucks out a question to see whether it lands and then he talks about Jesus. And then when a question about the scriptures comes, he knows the scriptures well enough to point people to Jesus. Do we take the opportunities the Lord presents us? 
Do we know the scriptures well enough not to be able to answer everything, because none of us can, but to be able to point people to Jesus, to be able to put it into words so that if people have got questions, we can give an answer. The God who can send angels and make people disappear suddenly like he does here doesn't need to use people, but he does nearly all the time. God uses us in his mission. He uses people to bring people to Jesus. Have a think about who led you to the Lord, if there was a particular person. Most of us weren't led to the Lord through someone famous and impressive. Uh, I asked a couple of weeks ago how many people were at a Billy Graham. Billy Graham's probably one of the, you know, the Christian superstars. Some of us may have been, but most of us were probably brought to the Lord through someone not very famous, not very impressive. A parent, a friend, a family member. Who are we that person for? Who are we sharing the Lord to? Who are you sharing Jesus with right now? Who, uh, <clears throat> who was the last person you invited to church or spoke to Jesus about? And sometimes it can be quite confronting to have a conversation with someone about Jesus or invite them to church. So let me lower the bar a bit. Who was the last person you prayed for that they would know Jesus? This should be what is our heartbeat and what we're doing. I've been thinking about that myself and, and you know, really challenged by it. The Lord uses people. He can use you and me. So firstly, God's at work in gospel ministry. Secondly, we're to work in gospel ministry. Lastly, we see wonderfully here, Jesus is for everyone. We're seeing this right the way through the book of Acts, but you see it clearly again here. I said we'd get back to the question as to why Luke, our author, keeps calling this guy a eunuch, not the Ethiopian or the queen's treasurer. Under the old covenant, eunuchs couldn't go into the temple. It was as simple as that. He would have been reminded of that when he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. Eunuchs couldn't go past a certain place within the temple. You can go this far, but you can go no further. And so he would have been made to feel like he wasn't good enough for God. Uh, but he's got some scriptures to read. In fact, one preacher I heard uh, once described it as he wasn't allowed into the temple, but he was allowed into the gift shop to spend money on the scriptures. And um, I don't know whether that's true or not, but imagine how this guy would have felt. But then he learns through Philip that Jesus is for everyone. Everyone. For a Samaritan like last week, for a eunuch this week, for you, for me. Everyone needs Jesus, and the good news is Jesus is for everyone. This eunuch apparently wasn't important enough to go into the temple, but he was important enough for an angel of God to speak to Philip and the Spirit of God to prompt Philip and for the Son of God to give his life for this man. That's how important and loved he was. And it's the same for you and I. That's how important we are to God, how loved we are. I think nearly everyone falls into one of two camps when it comes to Jesus. There's one group of us that thinks we're good enough for Jesus, uh, often white, middle-class, respectable. We kind of think we're good enough for Jesus. In fact, sometimes we probably think Jesus is lucky to have us. And uh, usually what you've got to do with those kind of people is shake them to show you're not good enough. None of us are. We're all broken. We're all in need of healing. We're all sinners who need a saviour. You need Jesus. But there's another group of people there's another group of people who think they're not good enough for Jesus and can never be good enough for Jesus. Maybe because they came up on the wrong sides of the side of the tracks or they've struggled with certain behaviours or they've done things they can't forget or forgive themselves for. 
and perhaps they've been treated that way by other people and so they think they're not good enough and that's an awful feeling to have. But if that's you this morning, you're good enough for Jesus. You're bad enough for Jesus. Jesus is the one who said, do you remember? He came not for the healthy but for the sick. He said it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. I didn't come for the righteous but for sinners. You're never too far away from Jesus. You're never too broken for Jesus, too worthless for Jesus, too sinful for Jesus. The shoulders of Jesus are big enough and broad enough to carry whatever you bring. Whatever baggage we've got, he can take it and carry it for us. Last week was great because we saw Philip go into a town in Samaria and he preached to the crowds and crowds of people saw that they needed Jesus. This passage is different. It's just one person. But it's just as good. Because personally, you see the difference that Jesus makes. Personally, you see the difference. Because we're never just a number when it comes to the Lord. We're an individual. He knows the number of hairs on our heads. He knows our name. And Philip baptizes the eunuch as soon as he believes in Jesus. I think that's very important. He was accepted right then and there as he was. He didn't have to pass a a confirmation exam to prove that he knew enough. He didn't have to get to a certain standard of behavior before he was allowable to believe in Jesus. Jesus saved him right then and there as he was. That's why every single person is welcome here at St. Stephen's because Jesus is for all of us, no matter who we are or what we've done. Now, when we belong to Jesus, then we want to live the way he wants us to live, not the way we want to live. There's a difference that comes afterwards, but everyone uh, is for, is for Je- needs Jesus and is for Jesus. He's for every single person, as long as we see our need for him. If we don't question in humility like the Ethiopian eunuch did here, we'll never see our need for him. If we don't know we're sick or know we need a doctor, we'll never see our need for him. But he's there for everyone who turns to him. So I hope you can see that this is a kind of odd passage in a sense with some pretty far out unusual stuff. And yet in the end it boils down to people sharing the good news of Jesus. And the three principles I think are still exactly applicable today in the way that they were back then. The Lord is at work in gospel ministry. Thank thank him for that. Trust him in that. We need to be at work in personal evangelism because he chooses to use us as weak vessels uh, to bring others to Christ. But thirdly, remembering that Jesus is for everyone. There's no one too far away. There's not a family member who could never be reached. Everyone needs the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for Philip who um, sets such a great example here and goes a great distance, starts a conversation, takes the initiative and shared the Lord Jesus with this Ethiopian eunuch. And we thank you for what happened. We thank you for a life changed from him moving from death to life and for the difference it would have made to him eternally. I pray that we too can be challenged and encouraged to do likewise. Father, we've got such good news. We've got such a wonderful saviour. Help us love him, help us follow him, and help us share him with all around us. For we ask it in his name. Amen.